I'm Gray Almeida. Welcome to The Great Area. I'm in the studio today with my friend Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Hi. Michelle suggested that maybe we have a conversation about divorce. Yes. That's a little bit of an abrupt way to start it. <laughs> I don't think there's see. an easy way to, to sort of say the word divorce. You hear it and people sort of freak out a little bit. It's not really a, a, a cozy word. So how would you talk about it? How, how do we talk about divorce? Um, well, I mean, I think like I talk about everything, it, it just being genuine and honest. I guess I, I'm a divorcee. That's a word, in case people didn't know that. It's an official word. How long have you been um, a divorcee? Well, I've been a divorcee for about eight years. Um, it, it depends on what time frame you go by, I guess. So about eight years ago, my ex-husband and I got separated, but it wasn't until maybe like a year plus later that we actually were officially divorced. So there's different stages of. But I've been a divorcee for you know, eight years, and I find along the way that it's sort of this club that you belong to. And wherever you go, whether it's at a work function or a social outing or a community gathering, you meet people and you realize that you're in this club together. And somehow that bonds you. And you begin these conversations and you begin these connections. And you sort of, to some extent, you sort of find some familiarity and some some comfort amongst that population of people. And then you kind of, somehow you have this magnet. I'll, I'll go places and somebody may say to me, oh, Michelle, I want you to meet somebody. They're divorced too. And so it becomes this thing. And at first you sort of feel like, geez, do I have this scarlet letter? Everybody sort of points out like, oh, they're divorced too. Why don't you go over there? They're divorced too. Why don't you go over there? And then it becomes this, this group that I, I seek out. I want to know who's the person in the crowd or who's the person at the function that may also be divorced or going through a divorce because somehow it no longer is that Scott letter for me, eight years letter. It's more of I feel like I've gone through this journey and I want to seek out other people and see where they are in their journey. And if somebody's not as far along, I, I guess my goal has become to help them know that there's a, a better place down the road. Maybe it's just something for me selfishly that I sort of feel that, that I want to connect with people to to let them know that it, it's going to be okay at some point. So it becomes this this group. And if you're not in the group, like you who's not in the group, people feel uh, a little bit strange. So when I heard you do the podcast with our friend Julie, I thought, you know, there's a, another taboo topic that people don't want to talk about. Even in 2019, people don't want to talk about the word divorce. Do you feel like in your community of divorcee that everybody is comfortable talking about divorce? Or do some people who are divorced still have trouble talking about divorce? They still have trouble talking about it. I think it depends on what stage you're, you're in. I think in the very beginning, people don't want to talk about it because they may be just separated at that time. And when you mention the word divorce, it's pretty final. So I think when you're early on and you're just separated, I think most people truly believe or want to believe that things could get better and that they won't get divorced. So people don't, they're not as open to talking about it and they don't want to say that word. But I find that the further in time people are from the process of the initiation, the initial separation, people are more willing to kind of talk. And then there are some that, that probably never want to talk about it and some that overly talk about it. I think it, it depends. 
I was talking with a friend about her divorce, and it was very interesting, the point that she brought up. She said, it is so easy to get married. Hmm. It's pretty much you walk into the courthouse, you sign those papers, and you're married. Yeah. And yet it can take over a year to be divorced. Yeah. I mean, it can take even longer than that. It depends on the circumstances of the divorce. I think um, I think for me, you know, I, I was in preparing for today, I was trying to think of the, the different milestones and when things took place. So I know distinctively when um, we separated. And then in my head, I had an idea of when we got actually divorced. And then I had to go back and try to find the paperwork to confirm that. And I thought it was so interesting that, you know, in that moment when it was happening, I, I thought, I'll forever remember this. I'll remember what it was like that day. I'll remember the smell in the air. I'll remember the people that I saw. I'll remember what I wore and the faces that I crossed um, in that courtroom. And it's funny that I could not remember. I knew the month. I knew it was sometime in April. But I couldn't remember the exact date. I couldn't remember the year. And I thought, wow, uh, eight years ago, that stood out to me so strongly. Um, and looking around the courtroom, I remember distinctively thinking, geez, like, I remember getting married, walking down the aisle, saying the I do, how monumental that was, how joyous it was. And I sat here and I couldn't even turn to the person that I had said I do to. And I thought, how do you get there? How does that happen? And then I thought, I'll never forget this day. And then clearly I do. I forget some of it. And so I guess in time, things do kind of move forward and move you forward and there are some things that you hang on to and some things that you don't and I think that's all part of the journey and that's why I wanted to reach out. Mm -hmm. One of the interesting things also in your story was about finding your people. I mean there, there are so many different angles that we can go here. First of all like when, when you're a married couple some you have friends who are mm -hmm. other couples other families when yep. suddenly you separate and you break your family unit how do you keep those strong bonds with other family units? Can you keep those? I think it depends. I think it's I think it's really tricky. You know, for for us when we got a divorce, my I had two children, and they were three and five, so they were little. And at that point in time, we had been living in Rentham for about five years or so, and we had not really met a whole lot of families. My son was just going off to kindergarten, my older son, so that would have been a perfect opportunity to connect with some families. And, um, you know, he started kindergarten in, in September and we st separated in October. So when I started to meet people, you know, casually and organically, like you normally do through school and school events and mm -hmm. community happenings through sports or things like that, you know, I was being introduced as a single person or at least just myself at the time. I didn't introduce myself as anything but Michelle, but I would go to things by myself. So we didn't have friends in town together so on some level that made it easier because it wasn't like friends in town felt awkward or felt like they had to choose between the two of us however the friends that we made when we you know met in college and then were married before we had children those friends it was really tricky because I'm not quite sure they knew what to do with us and some friends that had been my friends before the marriage and some of his friends before the marriage sort of aligned with each one of us. And the friends that we had together as a couple, they've, we lost those friendships. And some I tried to sustain, one, one particular um, couple I tried to kind of connect with, but you know, pretty quickly learned that it was very difficult to do so because we were friends as a couple. 
and they kind of didn't know what to do with me as a single person. And it wasn't anything against them. I think they sort of felt awkward and sad and didn't know what to do. And that happens. And I think a part of the divorce is that you you have all these losses all over the place. And one of the places where you, you know, experience a loss is with friendships. Mm-hmm. How do you announce to, to, you didn't really have social media at that time? I mean, No, just... I actually wasn't. Believe it or not, I wasn't even on Facebook then. I, it wasn't really that popular then. And it wasn't something that I was interested at the time. I actually only joined Facebook after I got separated just to kind of connect with some people. That was sort of like my purpose to have this social connection. But no, I so it wasn't like this announcement. And I don't think people really announce on Facebook. I haven't seen anybody. I, I know. <laughs> How do you announce? Do, you don't call up your friend or maybe you call up a good friend and they go and the word spreads. How does it right. work? How did it work for you? To spread the news. Um, right. That's a good question. I think, you know, when it when it first happened, only the people that I saw on a day-to-day basis knew what was happening because it was pretty obvious. So people that I worked with, you know, I was coming into work and I would be late because I was rushing because I couldn't get myself together. I couldn't get the kids out the door because I was by myself or, you know, so people that I saw daily kind of knew something was up. And I would just sort of say, you know, I'm just it's just tired. I'm stressed. That was always sort of the, the go to. I'm tired. I'm stressed. Just trying to figure some stuff out, so on and so forth. And then when it became a situation where I knew we weren't going to reconcile and that we were going forward with some stuff, I realized that I, I really need to tell some people. And so I had to tell my parents that was really a, a, a unique experience. It was very uncomfortable to say that out loud. It was very shameful you know, the, the worst part was sort of you have to then sit down with your children and you have to tell them and, you know, they're three and five. And so that's very difficult. And you have to use it in a language that they're going to understand. And I would say that was probably the worst day of my entire life. And it will probably still remain that forever, I'm sure. And then with with friends, other friends, extended friends who I didn't see on a day to day basis, I um I avoided. I avoided as long as I could avoided and they would send text messages like what's going on how you doing can we get together and I'd be like yeah yeah just I'm just tired it's been busy I'll get back to you kept putting them off putting them off and then realized that you know I, I if I don't give them some type of information they're going to show up at my door and so like I better let them know and I remember telling one friend and this this friend that I referred to earlier that her and her husband um, and my ex-husband and I were very good friends. We vacationed together as single people. We vacationed together as a married couple. We vacationed together as family. And I remember telling her. And I don't know, about maybe two hours later from telling her, there was a knock at my door. And so I, I went to the door, and I saw her, and I, I, I just hid behind the door. And she kept saying, I know you're there. I can hear you. And I was like, no, you don't. And she was like, yes, I do. And she's like, let me in. And I'm like, no. And she said, let me in. And I said, no. And she had driven about like 40, 45 minutes from where she lived. And I said, I'm, I'm not letting you in. And she said, I have to go to the bathroom. Can you at least let me in before I have to head home? And I said, fine. And I remember opening the door and she stood there and she had this bottle of wine. And she was like, now you let me in? And I was like, yes. And I remember going up to my room and she came up with me and we just sat in my bed and I just sulked and that sort of like was the beginning of okay I, I've got to start telling people what's going on but how wonderful to have a friend who would do that 
Yeah, it, it was very it was very kind of her. It was very typical of her to sort of show up and sort of sort of barge in. And I think at that time, you know, I, I was isolating myself. So I needed somebody who was going to barge in to my world. And I think sometimes when I hear about people talking about divorce and feeling this shame or wanting to isolate, that's sort of like my instinct. Like, I'm going to barge in your door. Like, you better let me in. And it was it was helpful to have people that would barge in because I wasn't letting anybody in, that's for sure. And I wasn't, I don't know if I was ready then, but I needed somebody to. You mentioned about how the more genuine and honest and real about the situation that you're going through, you are with people, you find your people. You do, you find your people along the way. And I think that, you know, I think in the beginning, I think in general in life, as we endure all these difficult events, no matter what it is, whether it's that you have cancer or a a parent has died or you're going through a divorce, I think in general as people, we sort of feel like we walk around with this big sign on us and, and somehow everybody knows what we're going through, when in reality, nobody knows anything really. Um, but yet you feel that way because you, you carry this, you carry this weight of this worry, you carry this burden that you think it is, you carry this shame on you. And so in public, I would find myself, which I was a typically confident person, I would find myself avoiding eye contact with strangers. I would find myself looking down at the ground most of the time. So I did not want anybody somehow to see into my eyes to know really what was going on. But yet, you still have a life to live. At the time, I had a three and a five-year-old, so there was no, gee, I think I'm just going to take a break from life. There was no, none of that. You had to continue to keep going, and I had to keep working. So you do the best that you can, and you go to all these functions, and you're sort of just trying to go through the moments because that's kind of how you get through, and you connect with people. And again, I think that when you're going through a pain, no matter what that pain is, you could search a room, and you could look at somebody and think, oh, they're going through a pain too. I can I can just see it. I can feel it. And that would happen places that I would go. I would try to make some connections. I felt like I had to continue. I had to figure some things out. So my older son was in kindergarten and he had a play date and was like one of his first friends. And he went over to this house and I remember walking into this house and thinking, oh my like this house is gorgeous and it's it's so nice and it's so well kept and and I thought geez my I'm like a hot mess and my house is destroyed and I've got laundry everywhere and dishes and I just can't even keep up and I thought wow this this woman's got it all together and she was beautiful and sweet and kind and I thought geez I I don't even know if I brush my teeth today I hope she doesn't get too close and I, I went and I picked up my son and I said, thanks for having him. And I said, we'd love to have him over our house, you know, to repay this, the, the favor of the play date. So the following week we connected and her son comes over and she came to pick him up and she came to the door and I am thinking, geez, I don't even know what the house looks like. Hopefully it's, it's okay. And she had come in and she was sort of walking around and she says, oh, I love your home. And she was so sweet and kind. And I thought, wow, she's just so polite and uh, I was giving her this little tour, and she came into my living room, and I had, like, a wine color um, paint on the walls. And she says, oh, I love that color. And I thought, oh, thank you. That's sweet of you to say. I said, but I'm, I'm under construction, um, clearly symbolic for my life at the time. And I said, I'm, I'm painting every room over. 
And she put her hand on my shoulder and she said, that's nice. And I thought that was odd, but okay. And so she left. And so the friendship continued between the boys. And then as time went on, it came time for like the summertime. And we were still friends as women and I were still friends and continued to keep this friendship. And she had come over to my house over the summer and we were hanging out and having a glass of wine. And then she says to me, I just, I want to let you know that I'm, I'm getting a divorce. And I was like, what? And she was like, I'm, I'm getting a divorce. And I said, oh, my God, I, I had no idea. And she said, remember that day I came over to your house and I commented on your walls and I said it was so nice and I really enjoyed your home. And I said, yeah, I do. And she said, and I, I put my hand on your shoulder and I said, yeah, I thought that was odd. And she said, I put my hand on your shoulder because I thought we're going to be friends for sure. And I thought, wow, I, I, I had no idea that this would have this impact and for her, I think she felt like another person that would share this journey with her. And that was eight years ago. And we've been best friends ever since and continue to sort of share this journey, although we have different parts of the journey, but most definitely have continued along that. And she's become part of sort of the village. And then from there, somebody reached out to her. From there, somebody reached out to another woman and then you know, shortly thereafter, there was five or six of us just within in town in Rentham and realized that we had this in common. And it sort of allowed us to connect and to vent and to feel, I guess, worthy to belong. They were our peeps. Are there support groups in the area? Um, there aren't necessarily. So when I got a divorce, I did some research. I tried calling around and I found one place. It wasn't too, too close. I remember calling and asking them what their time was and, you know, their groups. And the woman said something like, you know, it was every Wednesday from like six to seven. And I and I said, oh, you know, I wouldn't be able to do every Wednesday because that's the day that I alternate with my ex-husband. And I remember her sort of being curt and saying, well, if it's important enough to you, you'll figure it out. And I said, OK, thank you. And I hung up and I thought, wow, like that's kind of judgmental. And I wanted to ask this woman, have you ever been divorced? Because it's not that simple. You don't just figure it out. There's a lot of moving parts to being divorced and to being divorced with children and active children and coordinating schedules and team schedules and sports schedules and school schedules and pickup and drop off and sleepovers and birthday parties and all these different things. So it's not that simple. So at the time, there, there wasn't a lot of groups that I was aware of. And I remember kind of trying to start a group myself, and it was in my house in that wine-colored living room before I had painted it. And there was about five or six of us that were random, not random people, they were all connected through me because I knew them. But I reached out to one person, then they reached out to somebody, and then we sort of sat a little awkwardly in my living room and tried talking a little bit about what was going on. And... At the time, it was still new to me, so I was in a different place then than I am now. And since then, I have discovered that there are some groups, but there there are some groups that are out like in Newton, um, further beyond us here a little bit of a distance. And, you know, by the time I found them, I'd already sort of passed that place of needing that resource. But I've, I've talked a lot about wanting to start a support group. I work for uh, Dr. Craig Murphy, who has a counseling center in Franklin, 
right, actually in Franklin. What's the name of the center? Um, Family Educational Wellness Center in Franklin. It's over in the plaza where Stop and Shop is. Okay. And I've talked a lot with him about possibility of starting a group there. And what was interesting is the name of his um, practice is Family Educational Wellness. And when I first asked him, I said, does that seem like an odd thing that I'm, I want to offer a divorce group? And he says, well, isn't that what a family is about? And I thought, yes. But when we hear family, we don't necessarily hear the word divorce attached to it. But it's true. A family comes in all shapes and sizes. It's, it's not just the traditional family of a traditional um, so true. married couple. You know, families are grandparents that are raising their grandchildren. Family are same-sex couples that are raising children. Families are, you know, couples that are taking care of their parents and their children. So families are siblings taking care of each other because there's no one else to. So so family is no longer just this one-dimensional perspective that we used to have maybe and divorce is a part of a family. If there was anybody who was listening to this podcast who wanted to reach out to you or to the family, what is the name again, please? It's Family Educational Wellness Center right in Franklin, Massachusetts. They could, Mm -hmm. even though there is not a group that's formed yet, they could reach out to you? Absolutely. They can ask for Michelle Amorum. They could just leave messages there for me. And again, I think... Ultimately, although I want to start a group, I, th- I think in order for somebody who's going through this process may want to start individual work first before they're able to then take their story and be part of a larger group. So I think it's kind of in, in stages. Is that something that you did when you got your divorce? Did you go and see someone to speak to for your own mental health? Yes, absolutely. That that was something pretty quickly um, that I sought out. And I don't know, it was very comfortable for me to seek someone out. And maybe because I'm a therapist myself, and I know the value of it, I know the importance of it. I also know that I was drowning. And I, I didn't know how to get out of it. And I needed I needed a neutral party. You know, I, I couldn't go to a friend that would just bash my ex-husband. That's great maybe on a Friday night over a glass of wine. But in order to really do the work that I needed to do and to recover and rebuild my life, I really needed somebody who was a professional. And I knew that. I most definitely knew that. So I did. I sought out a therapist who, in fact, I still see eight years later. And in the very beginning, I saw her every Tuesday for two years, every single Tuesday. That's a lot of Tuesdays. Yeah. So 52 Tuesdays times two. With the insurance, I'm sorry, this is a side detail, but do you know if insurance covers these type of appointments? Absolutely. Yeah. So it was a mental health. Um, insurance covers it under the mental health category. And usually you may be allotted 12 sessions, you know, at first. And then your therapist just sends in a referral and indicates why they need more sessions than beyond the 12. So that happens for a lot of people, for sure. So I did, and I saw her, and it was a painful process, but necessary. And, you know, it's it's funny to go see her now. I, I check in with her as things come up, because I think that's good to have maintenance, you know, to kind of keep yourself in a good place. I think it's always helpful to have that. So I do. I seek her out, and we'll talk. And you know, I, I said to her not too long ago, I said, wow, can you believe it's been eight years? And she thought, wow, that, wow, time flies. And I said, I remember when I first came here and I kept saying, I just wish it was two years from now. Just make it two years from now because somehow 
that magically in my head that in two years I would be in a better place. I was definitely in a different place, but I wanted it to be magic. I wanted somebody to sprinkle magic, you know, magical fairy dust over me and make it two years. Well, time heals. Time absolutely heals. And, and do you feel like eight years later you have healed? A- absolutely. I mean, there's still little pieces that still are there that will come that will come up maybe during certain times of the year. But for the most part, absolutely. And I think I, I think you'll always continue to heal. I don't think I don't think you're ever going to be 100% done. I think that's true for anything. I think you're always going to be working through something. But I definitely think that time was the thing that I wanted to move faster. That wouldn't. Time was something that I needed to be more patient with, and I wasn't. Time was something that eventually came for me, but I was way too eager for it to come, and it, and it provided me some insight and provided me the essential opportunity for me to be introspective and to get some insight and to heal as a person and as a mom. So it was good. It was good. I, I'm still shocked that it's eight years later, but I'm very pleased at where I am for sure. And with the holidays coming up, Thanksgiving and Christmas, would you have any message for, for anybody listening who's maybe going to be going through a divorce, currently going through a divorce, or just feeling that it's always tough, maybe the holidays, because it brings them back to, I don't know, somewhere where they don't necessarily want to be emotionally? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the holidays, definitely the first... So. I guess it depends on what stage people are in. So if people are just beginning this process of separation and consideration of divorce, I think your first holidays, again, you know, I always describe divorce as grief. So when you lose somebody, they always say that first holiday is the hardest because you don't have them there. It's the first holiday that you do not do your traditional you know, activities. So the first we separated in October and then the first holiday was Thanksgiving. And I went ahead with the holiday tradition of going over to my sister's house. And I was there with my two boys and not him. And it was hard. And I remember people sort of saying, where is he? What's going on? Sort of doing this whispering because nobody really wanted to talk about it. And I didn't talk about it. And we just sort of let it go. And then when Christmas came, it was the first Christmas. And that was miserable absolutely miserable because it wasn't the same as it had been before. And I remember thinking to myself, if I had known last Christmas that that would have been our last Christmas as that traditional family, traditional in quotes, I think I would have captured more of the moments in for memory. I wouldn't have rushed through everything. I would have maybe lingered a little bit longer in different moments. But I think when the holidays come, I think the best part is especially if you have children, is to continue to do the best that you can to provide that sense of normalcy and continue with your traditions, even if they become brand new traditions, because that's okay too, because as a world and as people were forever evolving. So there are some things that it's great to hold on to and to repeat and have that shared experience over and over again. And then I think it's okay to add to them or to change them or tweak them. And I think, you know, for my children, it was really important for them to see that it was going to be okay. It was going to be okay. 
And it might not have been the same okay as it had been last year, but it, it's going to be okay when we're in this all together. And I think to connect with people and not to isolate. Because I think when you go through something so difficult that you think you're so alone in it, you pull yourself back, you hide, you don't want to be part of some stuff. So like, I like to hide sometimes. So I remember saying, I'm, I'm not doing what I normally do. I'm not going to that house that we typically go to. It was my sister's in-laws. And I said, I'm not up for it this year. And so they ended up coming to me. They came to my house instead. And I can look back on pictures and see the pain that I was in in those pictures, but thought we still needed to move forward. We still needed to have that holiday. We still needed to still have that family together as painful as it was. It still needed to happen. And I'm glad that I didn't just skip it all together. I'm glad that I continued forward with it because I would have regretted that. And I think that's important that to surround yourself with people that you feel comfortable around, that you feel safe with, and that will be patient with you. You need a lot of patience during this time, even with yourself. And talking about the memories, you mentioned the, the photos that you kept. You know, you, you would think that the first thing you'd want to do is take all the photos, burn them, forget about it. Mm-hmm. But you kept all the photos, and you wanted to make sure that you preserved that memory for your children. I did. I did. And I didn't keep everything. There are some things that, so, you know, I had been with my ex-husband for 20 years, married for 10, and we dated for 10 before. So it was a huge history. So the photos that existed of us maybe before, I I definitely didn't want to hang on to. And, and some of them, you know, everyone handles things differently. And so for me, I, I did not want to keep that piece of it. I wanted to get rid of it. But when it came to looking at the photo album, which had pictures of, of us together, had pictures of like my sister and his sisters and his parents and my parents, of me and my dad, you know, which my dad has since passed, it was important for me to hang on to that. And it was important of the pictures of my nieces and nephews that were at the wedding. I didn't want to get rid of those either. And there were pictures of of us, my ex-husband and my two children and myself, in family photos that I, I felt it was important to kind of hang on to for my children, that someday I wanted them to see that it did exist. You know, they were very little, three and five. You don't have a whole lot of memories before three, that's for sure. And my son, who was five at the time, has very little memories. And so I wanted them to know that, yes, love did exist in our home. And, yes, we did have, you know, that family, that traditional family of a mother and a father and, you know, having two parents there. And we did a lot of things together. And there was a lot of love there at one point in time, at least as a family. And that's important. It was important for me for the boys to know that there absolutely was love for them. We shared love for our children. And I wanted them to know that. And I didn't want them to see that anger of that I wanted to tear everything up because somehow that would have, for me, that would have sent them this message that that never existed for them. They never existed. And now life's just beginning now for them. And that's naive for me to think that. So I wanted them to know that, yes, that, that time did exist. It, it, and for a while, in the very beginning, I had lots of pictures around the house of all of us. And I kept them out for a, for a bit because I felt like it was important for the boys to kind of see that. And then eventually it slowly transitioned. That pictures came off the wall of myself and, and my ex-husband. And, and the pictures of the boys and their dad went from the living room up to their bedroom. And so... I, it was, I made an effort to make sure that he continued to exist in the world even when he wasn't living in our home, but just not in, in my living space because that wasn't comfortable for me. 
but that he did continue to exist. So they just moved upstairs to their room, which were very appropriate for them to be able to wake up and see photos of themselves and their dad next to their bed and on their bureau and throughout their room. And and I still think that's important. They still have pictures upstairs of, of them and their dad. I love that. Do you have any anything else you want to talk about? I mean, I think in general, I think the reason why I sought you out in the first place to sort of to talk about it is that I just felt like it's a journey. And I think that I wanted people, I think I wanted people to be aware of that because I've, I've heard of other people in town recently, you know, considering it or going through a divorce. And it, it just sort of reminded me of that moment when it first begins. And, and who do you talk to? You know, you, you don't typically, you wouldn't call up your married friends, just like me in the beginning. I didn't call up my married friends because I didn't think they would understand and it's not that they didn't care about me or they didn't love me or they didn't want to support in any way. But it was very, I find it's very hard. You can have compassion for somebody, but it's very hard if you don't share that experience to truly know the magnitude and the depth of the feelings and the loss um, and the rebuilding that it takes. So I think that's why I reached out to you because I, in some in some way, if anybody's listening to this, I mean, I, I hope that they at least, if they don't feel comfortable reaching out to you to try to access any supports with me or anybody locally in the area, that they find somebody to talk to because I think it's really important because it's, it's not something that you should isolate or be alone or alienate yourself. It's something that you really have to reach out, you know, and I think that that's really hard for a lot of people to be able to reach out and say, I need help. I can't do this alone. And I really, truly feel like divorce is not something that you should do alone. It's something that you really need to have other people by your side and, and help help be there for you every step of the way in the different parts of the journey. Do you remember how you felt when you were going through the divorce? Yeah, absolutely. Um, is this PG? Is this? Uh, <laughs> I'll refrain from any swearing. Yes. But, um, <laughs> um, no, and, and all joking aside, uh, you know, it's funny, although it's been eight years later, and, and like you said, I am telling the stories calmly, and I'm and I'm telling them, um, hopefully with a sense of grace and purpose, and trying to be very mindful of what I say now because I'm in a good place. So when you're in a good place, you can do all those things, right? So if I was to kind of rewind time to eight years ago, um, my rendition of the stories or my experience would sound a lot different. It, it would sound like. I just did like um, Red Bull and I was like running a marathon and came in here and was like (laughs) out of breath. And, you know, when it was happening, you you feel like you're going crazy, like legit crazy. And I think it's a a combination of um, feeling so anxious and so destroyed and you feel um, ashamed and embarrassed. And and you also, you know, physically you're a wreck. You know, you you typically don't sleep. So I was not sleeping. So you're working on like an hour to two hours of sleep. And anybody who doesn't get enough sleep, you're not making sense. And I remember being at work and I'd be sitting at a meeting and I'd be just drifting off and people would say, Michelle, Michelle. And I'd say, yes. And I said, what do you think? And I said, I don't think and, and I'd have to get up and excuse myself. And so for somebody that does sit before you today is very articulate and intelligent and can, you know, really express herself, you know, in those moments, I, I didn't have any words, at least that weren't appropriate in those environments. And I felt constantly upset or confused or bitter, angry, 
you, you do feel crazy. You feel like you are going crazy and you feel like your whole world has just been hit by a nuclear bomb. It's in millions of pieces. And you sort of j- just picture, I guess, just picture a, a, a mirror above your head and you drop it on top of yourself and you look down and there's just shattered glass everywhere. And you don't even know what to do with it. You don't even know how to put it back together or if you could ever put it back together. And so you feel horrible. And so you either decide to kind of sweep it away or throw a cloth over it and pretend that doesn't exist. But you just feel miserable and awful. And I remember I'd always say, I didn't even know what day of the week it was, which sounds terrible now to sort of say that. But I remember not knowing what day of the week it was. And I remember I'd have the boys and I'd think, oh, no, it's dinner time. Like, I have to actually come up with something to eat. Like, what do I have? And I'd open up the fridge and I'd say, oh, hot dogs again. Perfect. And fortunately, you know, three and five-year-olds, they love hot dogs and mac and cheese. So it worked. But you you don't. You have this sense of you're out of control because your whole world is out of control. It just fall, fell apart. So you don't know what to say or what to do. And, and you feel bitter and nasty. And I remember walking past people in stores or out in public, and they would be, like, laughing or smiling or holding hands. And I would think, how dare you? Why are you so happy? What is wrong with you? Or why are you holding his hand? Um, like, that's going to end. And I remember sort of having this, these thoughts all the time. And I remember the, actually at Christmas time, I was at Kohl's and I was standing in line. And I had a couple items in my arms. And I'm looking around and I could feel myself getting really hot. And I could feel myself starting to sweat. And my heart was pounding. And I was like, I am going to scream at the top of my lungs. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, what is happening to me? A full-blown panic attack? Yes. And I had never had a panic attack before in my life. And, and I'm a therapist, so I know the signs of them. I know what happens. I've worked with um, children's and adults and families on, you know, describing them and preparing for them and what to do. And I thought, oh, my God. Oh, my God, this is real. And prior to that, I, I could relate because I knew from a book what anxiety was and a panic attack. And... But had never experienced it myself. And I thought, oh, my God, now I understand what this is about. Now I understand it. It feels like I'm going to suffocate. I, I, I can't breathe. I, I got to get out of here. Um, and I remember just sort of standing there. And the, the shopper in me who was getting this, like, clear inside and was like, I'm not leaving. <laughs> I'm not leaving without this Christmas present. <laughs> and I thought, you are a lunatic. What is wrong with you? And I thought, nope, nope, this will pass because you, you know it will pass. Just just close your eyes and breathe. Just close your eyes and breathe. And I remember doing that and then taking a deep breath and I sort of looked up. And at that point in time, you think everybody's staring at you and nobody's looking at me. And I thought, this is crazy. I got to get the hell out of here. I remember going, paying for it and leaving, going out to my car and being like, what the hell just happened? And so that was my first experience of sort of having this um, this panic of like, oh my God. And so what do you do with that? And, you know, you, you just, you figure it out. Um, but you do, you, f- you feel crazy. You definitely feel crazy. Is there a feeling of empowerment now, having survived it? Oh, absolutely. A- absolutely. I, I think when, um, you know, when I, when I talk about it with you and talking about those different instances and those different experiences, it, it, 
definitely brings me right back to that moment. So I could feel my heart pound when I, I told. Can, I can see you talk, and I'm like living this with you. I could, I could, I could feel it. You know, those those memories again. Like I say, for anybody who's experienced a significant loss or, you know, some type of tragic experience in their life, when you recall it, no matter how many years later, eight years later, twenty years later, you know, twenty five years later. It brings you right back to that very moment. When I talked about that court, I was standing there in that court looking around, remembering that moment, talking about being in the store. I could remember that, that the heaviness that I felt and the panic and not being able to breathe. I could feel that. When I talked about telling my children and that being the worst day of my life, I felt the tears come to my eyes. And, and on some level, although I don't want to be back there and I never want to go backwards in life, it's okay for me to talk about it. It's okay for me to embrace that experience now, knowing that I've survived it. And on some level, on some level, it, it, it makes me humble, I guess, for me to know that I can, now in my life, I can have survived one of the worst experiences of my life and of my children's lives. And I can know that I can move forward. I can know that there's, there's good eventually down the road. And, you know, I say to people all the time, it's going to get better. I just can't say when. I had no idea then. You know, that's why I kept going to my therapist saying, please, I want it to be two years. So somehow I had this magic, like in two years, things would have been fantastic. Um, and two years later, it wasn't fantastic. It was better. It wasn't as heavy as it was then. It's not as heavy as it is now at all. Um, but it, it continues to grow and it continued to progress. It's not as light as it is now, you mean? It, well, yes, you are correct. It's not as light as it is now. It feels very light to me. You know, it's not this burden anymore. Mm -hmm. And I remember at the time, you know, I would tell the story of of my divorce or my separation, and I would tell it to anybody. Anybody who wanted to hear it, I was going to tell it to them. You know, Christmas party, I was going to say it. Or at, at a school function, I was going to say it. Or at a sporting event, I'd say it. And for some reason, I don't, I don't know why then, I, it was so easy for me to say it. I was so angry, and I wanted everybody to know why I was so upset and bitter and angry. And I felt this need to kind of explain my presentation. And again, I don't think anybody really wondered. I don't think it was as obvious to them as it was to me. And now eight years later, it's really not necessary for me to have that story be out there. I say it today because I, I want to be helpful for people. I say it and because I truly believe that it is a journey and that you can eventually get there. But I think that people have to just stay on that road. You have to stay on that road no matter what because it will get better. You just don't know when it gets better. But you have to learn to be patient with yourself and you have to learn to have forgiveness for yourself and for other people. And, you know, I guess I, I never thought that I'd get to this place, but I think I, I'm in a much better place, definitely with my ex-husband, which I never thought we would get to. And I think that's a really good piece for both him and myself and for the boys to be able to get there. It took a long, long time, a, lo a lot longer than I thought it would, a lot longer than I wish it didn't take. But everybody does it at their own pace. How do you feel about love today? Love. Well, I am in love, so I guess I feel very excited about it. I, I didn't think love actually existed, to be honest with you. After going through a divorce, it, I, I was very bitter, and I sort of felt like you know, that, that love that people talk about, that love that just like sweeps you off your feet, that love that you can't live without, that true love. 
interestingly, you mentioned social media. When I first got on Facebook, I put out to Facebook because why? I don't know. I remember, and I wish I could go back in the post and pull it up. I'm sure I could, but I said something like, does true love really exist? Like that love that sweeps you off your feet, that love that you can't live without, that love that leaves you breathless. Perhaps I was reading a novel or whatever, and I was so desperate to hear that answer. And this woman who was um, in town, who didn't really know me, we just barely knew each other. Our sons played like a flag football together. I remember her sending a message saying, it does, just hang on. And she was happily married, to my knowledge, and I still see her on Facebook, and she still looks happily married. And I thought it was so hopeful and so kind of her, who really didn't know me at all, just to send me that little simple message, like, it does, hang on. Um, and I thought, oh, yeah, sure, lady. And I, I wasn't looking for it at all. And I, I think when you let go of some stuff, sometimes life kind of just finds it for you. And then I fell in love with somebody that I, I love more than I ever thought was possible. I didn't think this kind of love actually existed. I always sort of joke to people like, that doesn't happen. That doesn't exist. That definitely won't happen for me. And in meeting my now fiance, I remember saying when I first met him, I remember saying to a friend, I said, he's home. It's been a long journey home. <laughs> 